Welcome to Masterpiece Women. This is Tina Raines, and I'm the founder of Masterpiece Women, and I am so excited to have you here today. We are a community of authentic women from all over the world, growing together personally, professionally, building businesses and ministries together. And today you're going to hear from a great speaker. So grab a cup of coffee or your favorite tea and sit back and grow with us. Thanks for being here, ladies. Well, welcome back, Masterpiece Women. We are so excited to share Julie Slattery with you today. Thank you, Julie, for being with us today. Hey, I I can't say no to you, Tina. Anytime (laughs) you invite, I have to say yes. Oh, I love you, girl. So Julie Slattery, many of you know her. She's an amazing author, speaker, ministry leader, and she's a dear friend of mine. We've um, been able to serve on a couple of different occasions together. It's just such a blessing when you get to know people that you just love, love, love who they are. So that's Julie to me. I know to all of you, she's this big speaker and author. To me, she's my girlfriend. I love having her. And so I'm thrilled that you're going to add value to the women today. And I love your story. I would love for you to share just how did you get started? How did God call you? Because you have a very interesting calling into ministry. And I'd love for you to share a little bit about what you do and how he called you there. Yeah. Well, Tina, I feel like God called me to himself, like probably when I was a teenager. So I think, you know, God first says to us, will you follow me wherever I take you? And that's the first yes that we say. And we don't, usually know where he's going to take us just like Abraham didn't know where he was going. And, uh, and that was true in my story. And then probably when I was late teens, early twenties, I knew that I wanted to do some kind of ministry, just helping people navigate like relationships, marriage and family issues, women's issues. And so, uh, went through school, got my psychology degree. It started practicing as a clinical psychologist, and uh, during that time, had kids, so I was balancing the kids and marriage and ministry. And uh, then a few years after that, God called me to go work at a big uh, ministry focused on the family, where I kind of learned the skills of media and radio and just, um, you know, the landscape of Christian ministry on a marriage and family kind of basis. And when I was there, Tina, is when God specifically called me into what I'm currently doing, which is um, addressing biblical sexuality. So in the last decade, I've been called everything from the sex lady to the <laughs> sex expert to you know, all kinds of titles that I don't necessarily love, but that's the, the call that God has put on my life in this season. Well, I remember one time you saying to me, yes, um, when, or you were speaking at an event or something and you were talking about how, um, God, really, you want me to go talk to everybody about sex? Really? Yeah. Yeah. You want to make sure you got that signal right before you just start doing that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Unless God calls you, uh, you may not want to go there, girl. (laughs) Right. Yes. Yeah. But it was a very clear call and I've had many times to go back and revisit that as this topic is really challenging for a variety of reasons, but, um, but it's so rewarding just to see how the Lord works when we step into difficult spaces. Absolutely. I've just loved watching your ministry flourish and just how you, how you're used. I mean, I've heard, I was just sharing um, 
earlier with Julie before we got on here where I was actually at a marriage retreat that I coach um, twice a year. My husband and I coached this retreat and they were highlighting Julie's books and how powerful um, one of her books is, which was the, what book was that I was talking Finding the hero in your finding the hero. That's right. And you just redid that. You were saying, so that's exciting. It's a great book and counselors that literally are going every single weekend um, talking about marriage are highlighting your books because they are so valuable. And so um, I remember (laughs) when I was single and um, I got your passion pursuit book. And I remember saying to you, Julie, I love this book, but um, (laughs) I don't think I need to be thinking about this right yeah, now. That wasn't the right season for you. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it was great though. So um, now I have it and I'm, we're Good. actually going to go through it as a Bible study. So oh, that's anyway. great. Yeah, it's exciting. I love watching them use you. And I watch, mm-hmm. I love how you also, people think about ministry. Obviously it's a calling, right? Mm-hmm. And um, it's also though, there's a lot of pieces to it that are like running a business. Yeah. And sometimes that's the greatest challenge of a leader that's been called in the ministry is to run the back end of it, that piece of it. Oh, um, so true. Nobody warns you about that. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That's what the would worst. you say to a leader that is um is wanting to follow their calling? couple of things like what's the difference between a dream and a calling and God calls you like how how do you proceed forward in that and find the tools you need what did you do Julie yeah well first let me address that question of the dream versus the calling and then maybe we can get into <clears throat> the trials of business but um yeah I feel very blessed Tina because I feel like God gave me my dream job and that would have been the job I had to focus on the family where I was part of their daily broadcast, just interviewing authors and experts all the time and just soaking up wisdom. And I, w- I just was like, pinch me, like, how did I get here? I didn't even apply for this job and God gave it to me. But it was in that seat of being in my dream job that God actually started to stir in me a calling, which a lot of times our calling has some of the same kernels that our dream does. It sometimes is very consistent with what we're wired to do and the passions we have, but the dream is more, this is what I would love to do. And this is what I want to accomplish. And this is what I've always longed for. The calling is God, this is what you want me to do. And this is your work. I just get to be a part of it. And so I had, again, probably an opportunity that most people don't have, which was to have the dream and then to be asked to give up the dream to pursue the calling. And I remember when people would tell me, Julie, like you're leaving this very high profile ministry position where you're talking to a million people around the world every day, and you're going to go start up a nonprofit. You don't know what you're doing. Like, why would you do that? That makes no sense. Um, But the Lord had made it so clear to me over the course of a year that that's what he was calling me to do, that I really couldn't say no to that. And and it's neat to think about the difference between what it felt like kind of having my dream versus what it feels like being in a calling where you really do feel like your job is just to wake up and say, okay, Lord, what's next? Like, I would just want your agenda. I want your glory. I'm like, this isn't about me. So 
there is there is a distinct difference, but I think sometimes the lines get blurry. Oh my goodness, I agree hundred yeah. percent. It's interesting because I um, I've shared often, and you and I have climbed some of those mountains together. But when he called me the first time, I'm like, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Honestly, when he first started telling me that I would be climbing with Freedom Climb, I was like, Lord. I just gave away all my gear. I don't want to do that. He's like, yeah, no, that would I'll be my, it. that would be my dream job right there. Climbing mountains for a living and ministering to women. So <laughs> yeah. it was, it was so, so rewarding once I got into it, but the idea of climbing those crazy mountains, um, it was, it was scary because yeah. that was, I mean, I wasn't a hiker. I am now obviously. And, um, right. we'll, we could talk about that another time. Um, uh, maybe how we could do some hikes together again. Yes, <laughs> I know. That would be great. I love yeah, we, hiking. Yeah. I love it. And I, you know what, it is something about being out on those mountains that mm-hmm. just stretches you well, not only are you stretched physically, emotionally, but God shows up. Like there's no better way to just feel his creation. I feel like than being on the mountains and being with him on those mountains, because you have a lot of downtime where you're just you and him, you and him the mm-hmm. whole time. And so it's, there's something just absolutely incredible that happens, plus a community of the women on those mountains. So we ha- might have to talk about that offline another time. <laughs> All right. I'm game for that. That was All right. Special. Let's do it. So talk to me a little bit about how did, you know, I think about right now we're doing a study of Exodus um, for, with Masterpiece Women and that, you know, I just keep going back to Moses, how, you know, he had all these excuses why he couldn't do it. But yet, you know, you saw God just equip him with all the right people around him. And you see him do that so often in the Bible. And I feel like he's done that to us as well, personally. Mm-hmm. Um, describe what that looked like for you in starting your ministry and having to start the business part of it on the backside. Like, what, what did that look like for you? Yeah. Um, in some ways it was like an amazing story that started out great, but then it kind of crashed and burned for a while. So one of the ways that I knew God was calling me to start this ministry was he started moving in the hearts of three men from New Zealand around the same time he was stirring my heart. Like I need to talk about sexuality and sexual brokenness. And these three guys from New Zealand, who I had met like a year earlier, because I was speaking there, said, we've been praying for this whole year that God would raise up a woman to address sexual brokenness. And we all three, when we pray, we just keep getting your name, like you're supposed to do this. And one of the guys, eventually, he was a business owner that sold his business, made a lot of money. He eventually just said to me, like, Julie, if you if you want to start a ministry, I have the funding to get you started. Like how often does that happen? Somebody from the other side of the world just says, Hey, I've got a blank check here. Let's fill it in with whatever you need. And so, you know, God is so gracious to make that clear. And in the beginning to set us up with, how do you pay for a website? How do we file for uh, our 501c3, you know, hiring the first staff, Like we kind of had it easy in the beginning because a lot of that was just underwritten. But then what happened over the course of the first 18 months to two years is that guy understandably started to say, all right, like you need to become financially independent now. And so we had built the business so that it had a pretty substantial overhead because it was funded. But then as he started saying, okay, my funds are running dry, you need to take this over. I had no idea how to make payroll every month. 
and we had set the salaries, uh, you know, like at market value. So they were way too high and we didn't have a good business model. And so Tina, there were a few years there where the ministry side was thriving. Like people were saying, this is changing my life and God is blessing it. But the business side of it was fledgling where I was like trying to meet with consultants, like how do I raise money and trying to read business books. I'm not a business person. I'm a psychologist. You <laughs> like, that's the opposite. <laughs> so I'm trying to just learn, like, how do I build a business? And there came a crisis point four years into the ministry where I went to my board and I just said, I can't do this anymore. Like every day I'm checking our bank account to see if we can make payroll. And I feel like I'm failing on the business side. And I know God is blessing the ministry, but I quit. I give up. And uh, and so then my board said, okay, well, we quit too. <laughs> so <laughs> that was, it's, it sounds horrible, but what they were really saying was, we don't know how to support you in this role. Like we love you, we're praying for you, but none of us are equipped to help you with this. And uh, And I'm not making this up. During that board meeting, a stranger called and left a voicemail on my phone, basically saying, uh, I want to give a lot of money to your ministry. Like while that meeting was happening and he was in town from out of town and he asked if he could meet with my husband and I that weekend, which we did. And he just really had a heart for what we were doing. I never met him before. And I was like, this timing is crazy. Like we're just about to close everything down. And so what we ended up doing is I told him, I really don't right now need your money because I'm not convinced that I would spend it well. What I really need is your help, like with a consultant of how do I build a business model? <clears throat> and so we cut the ministry in half. We cut the everybody's salaries that stayed on, including me. We cut everything in half. We cut staff. We just said, okay, what's the core of what God has given us to do? Let's go back to the basics. And then, uh, and then during that time, we really got a lot of wisdom and consulting on how, what's a healthy way to grow. <clears throat> and so that was 2016. So since then, we've just been like slowly growing and adding pieces and learning um, to the place where, thank you, Lord, like we're in a healthy state right now in terms of how we get our income. It's many, many different streams of income. It's not just reliant on one thing or one donor. Um, and, you know, like I've learned along the way, but I also just have to say, God is so gracious because I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I just, keep, I just keep doing the next thing he puts in front of me. <laughs> I love it. But you know, that's such a great story because so many people just, they, they have a calling and either a, they're too scared to follow the calling. So mm -hmm. they get paralyzed because they're, they're a perfection attitude. Like they just, well, unless I can do it perfect. And I think a lot of people struggle in that, um, where they don't move forward because they don't have it all figured out. Yeah. They don't trust God enough to really dive all in. And it is scary, but I keep yeah. telling people just do it scared, do it scared because it's yeah. so rewarding. I was scared to death to do a, a podcast. Why? I don't know. Oh, you're so good at it. Oh my I, gosh. I, I was tell petrified. You 
petrified. Just talking and you're great at talking and listening and asking questions. That's all it is. (laughs) But there was something intimidating about it. And um, I remember the first one, okay, I'm just going to do it. I was like, Mm -hmm. oh my word, I love this. If I did this all day, I I would be thrilled. I love talking to people. So um, I think from, you know, just that's a perfect example, your story of you just move forward. And then sometimes, and, you know, I've heard you say this, sometimes you retreat, right? In order Mm -hmm. to advance. And that's very much what you're just describing. Yeah. Would you like to talk a little bit more about that piece of it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that is an example of how some sometimes God asks us to step back in order to be able to step forward. And uh and there's many different ways that that plays out. You know, even in the most basic way, it's like resting. You know, <clears throat> observing a Sabbath where your mind tells you if I work 7 days a week, I'm going to be more productive than if I take a rest and don't work one day a week. And it's like, no, actually, the more you can rest and retreat and honor God and trust him, actually, you're going to be more productive. And even secular research will show that out, that you can't work nonstop. You become less productive the more you push. And I think the same thing is true. Like God tests us and he asks us sometimes, you know, hey, let go of your ambition, let go of your dreams, let go of what all the consultants are telling you. Like you have to do this and you have to do that. And just trust me, like pull back. And and I think even scripturally, you know, the scripture tells us that when we belong to God, like he wants to prune us so that we can be more fruitful. And so some of that retreating is inviting his pruning, you know, taking seasons of reflection, um, having people speak into your life and point out the things that you can't see, whether it's on a personal level or it's the way you're running your, your organization. So, um, so I think that people that never retreat, like they just spin their wheels, but they never feel like they're advancing. Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I always think of, um, the example that you gave, um, and I've repeated actually to many people over the years, of how when God called you downstairs to your basement to work out, well, you had it planned to work out in the mornings. And then God said, no, um, you'll work out. But what about me? What about spending that time with me, that challenge to spend that time with him instead of working out? I'd love for you to share that a little bit about that. Because to me, that's a very powerful story of just the simple daily time with him that Mm -hmm. he values so much. Yeah. Yeah. So that was really right before he called me to start Authentic Intimacy. And I was starting the P90X program, like Beachbody.com. Some people know that program that was popular. Like let's this would have been about 12 years ago. And I was really disciplined most days to go wake up early, go down in my basement and work out and do P90X. And like you're saying, probably about a month and a half into that program, like I started to notice all the changes in my body. And I started to sense God tell me, like, if you took your faith this seriously, just imagine how much your faith would grow. And he was just inviting me, like, are you willing to do a spiritual P90X? And so over the course of the few months when that prompting was so clear, I just said, okay, Lord, I'm going to wake up at the same time I was waking up to exercise, which 
at that season was like 4.30 in the morning. It sounds awful now, but that was the only time I could do that with little kids and work. And so I get up at 4.30 in the morning and just dedicate an hour to the Lord, just praying, worshiping, seeking him, not just checking the box of I did my quiet time, but really um, like getting to know God at a more personal level. And that completely changed my life. And it, uh, and the way I describe how he called me to this ministry is like when we draw near to God, he will always share a piece of his heart with us. Mm. And, uh, Tina, he shared a different piece of his heart with you than he has with me because his body is meant to do all of his work. And, uh, but we can't draw near to God without him saying, okay, join me in my work. And that looks different in each of our lives. But um, so this ministry and the call that I had was an outgrowth of him calling me to spend that time with him. I love that. And I, I think it's so invaluable. And that's one of the things that we, um, you know, locally, we're partnering with another local ministry here that that's their heartbeat is teaching women to journal and to really have that it's called Yada Factor. And it's really Mm. the women connecting to actually share what's in their journal, to spend very intentional time, hold each other accountable that they're hold, they're doing that time together. And um, it's such a valuable resource because I think that's one of the greatest things missing. In, um, and I can say for myself, when I was in full-time ministry last time, I believe I could have done a much better job of dealing with different situations that, I, that arose had I not been sometimes checking the box yeah, because I became more like the Martha and less mm-hmm. like the Mary yeah. and I was yeah. getting the job done. Right. You right. know, I wasn't just sitting at his feet going, okay, Lord, share what you want to share. I was, okay. You gave me a vision. Okay. I'm going to go do it. And I look back and we accomplished a lot of things he wanted us to do. But in the meantime, when I started that ministry, I was so full of the Holy Spirit every step I took. And mm-hmm. I felt like getting busy with the busyness of serving. Actually, I fell prey to that busyness. Yeah. And um, so I just constantly encourage women to make sure you get that time. And I love that. And I use your example mm. <laughs> oftentimes because it is so valuable for us to know that we know we're having that time with him and that it's, it's him and not us because yeah. we're doing it. Forget it. It's not worth it if, no, to do it in right. our strength. Cause we're not going to, we're not going to be what he's called us to be if we aren't, aren't paying attention to him. No, but it takes so much faith because if I have an email box that's full and a to-do list that is longer than I can read to say, what I really need to do is spend time at Jesus's feet is like the opposite of what my flesh wants to do. Like, I don't have time to do that. Uh, I need to get this stuff done first. Yeah. But, um, but the truth of it is that when we spend that intimate time with God, he makes our burdens light. He gives us the wisdom to navigate difficult situations. Uh, he gives us the wisdom to know what to prioritize. And, um, and we end up doing his work instead of our work. Absolutely. There's a leader that spoke at LifeWork Leadership just recently, and he has a whole problem called just abide. Mm. And his question and challenge was to all of the leaders in the room was, if you were to abide 
with him every morning until he released you, what would that look like? Wow. Yeah. Boy, and I love that. I thought, okay. We need to change our philosophy. And he's made millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars. But mm. he literally, every morning gets up. He goes, sometimes the Lord has me for 30. Sometimes it's for two hours. Yeah. I abide with him until he says, okay, go start your day. Wow. I love that. That's a Isn't great, that beautiful and a great so, question. That's one of my yeah. challenges for this year is to get, to, I'm doing more of it, much more of it. And I've loved doing the Bible studies because I'm, you know, studying and studying and studying. And it's like, now I see why people like doing Bible studies. I mean, yeah. I've always taught them, but I've taught other people's. I've <laughs> never necessarily done them online. And so it's, it's been so amazing to just be in the word again, to that depth and really hearing from him and mm-hmm. seeking him. And it, yeah, it's been really, really sweet. And he was very powerful in that. Yeah. And we have to arrange our schedules to make that happen. So uh, in, in different seasons of life that like, if you have kids that are going to wake up at five in the morning, maybe morning isn't the time for you. Um, and maybe it's not a season where you can stay for two hours um, so God is also gracious in understanding those limitations, but absolutely making that a priority is so key. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I believe if you're in that season, he's, he's not going to ask you to do something that is impossible for you. Right. But all right. things are, pos- yeah. are possible with him, of course. But, um, I just feel like he's just calling us to be in that place of abiding, whatever that looks like. And, you know, the Mm -hmm. other day I was doing a training on time management and what we have 168 hours in the week. Wow. That doesn't sound like very many. (laughs) And if you sit and you actually mark off, you know, I had the girls in our last luncheon do a, a whole training. Okay. Let's mark off. Let's highlight what you're spending on this what you're spending on, you know, TV or whatever. And how much wasted space do you really have? And how much white space do you really have? And when you really pay attention to your schedule though, and even the people that I've coached that were executives, their biggest issue has been not their ability to lead, not the passion, Mm -hmm. not the business acumen. You can teach them all that time management. Because their priorities have not been where it needs to be to be able to implement the strategy they have or implement mm-hmm. the, you know, goals that they have. Um, so, yeah, that's so true. Yeah. yeah. And same thing with our, our, you know, time with the Lord is if we don't make it a priority and plug it into our calendars, sometimes it doesn't get done. No, very often it doesn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. If we give God our leftovers, there's usually not many leftovers. Exactly. So Uh it needs to be a top priority, ladies. So and let's talk a little bit about um, failing, because I think that's one of the things as we talked about perfection, failing. Mm -hmm. Um, What would you say, Julie, is been your greatest failure? And how did you learn from it? What did you do with it? Well, I remember my dad telling me he's a businessman. And he was sitting back and watching me like flail around with this new ministry. And about six years into it, he said, you know, Julie, I've seen you make every mistake, but I've not seen you make the same mistake twice. So that's good. Mm, good. (laughs) He's like, you're learning. I do feel like I've made every mistake and I've failed in a lot of ways. Um, I think 
one of my biggest failures early on was leading by consensus. And so feeling like I'm a people pleaser by nature, which is probably why I went into psychology. I want everyone on the team to be happy and for everybody to agree. And so early on when I would make decisions, I would say, okay, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? And uh, I would have people take a vote and make decisions that way. And I look back at some of the decisions that I made and they were really bad decisions because a leader can't lead by consensus. Mm -hmm. I, I think you have to set the vision and then work towards getting people on board with that vision. But that was the biggest strategic mistake that I made that, that affected a lot of things. And God was gracious. But I remember like at one point, I think it was when the ministry was really struggling and I just felt like I was failing and I wasn't doing this right. And I was running it into the ground. I was still going to people and saying, what should I do? Like, what book should I read? How should I fix it? What do you think I should do? And a mentor in my life just said, you know, Julie, nobody can make this decision for you. Like God has given you stewardship of this ministry and it's good to seek wise counsel, but you have to decide and you have to own your decision. Mm. And like that struck me, like I'd never thought about it like that before, that uh, if God's given me this mantle of leadership, I have to embrace that. And doesn't mean I'm going to be stubborn or bullheaded or not ask for input, but I have to be convinced this is the way that we're going. And I, yeah, I have to be that confident leader that steps forward instead of always looking back and being like, am I okay? Like, do you guys agree? Did I do the right thing? And so um, I would say that's the biggest way that I failed in the process of leading. And I've really learned like, you have to, you have to spend that time with the Lord and have that vision and then move with confidence with that vision instead of making sure that everybody is on the same page with you. Absolutely. The, wow. That's good. Good stuff. Cause it, it's definitely, um, especially when you're first starting, you know, you always, you want to feel like you're, you're in the in crowd and they're going to support you more if they do. But the reality is oftentimes they support you more or actually 95% of the time they support you more when they know you're leading well and yeah. hearing from God than being part. And then oftentimes when you do collaborate like that so much, you probably experience this where they then feel like they tell you what to do. And then when you right. don't agree with them, you're like, no, we can't do it that way. Yeah. It's yeah, a little more complicated. It, it does. And, you know, that's always been my default personality. It might not be something that you struggle with as much, but I am that ple people pleaser. And so, uh, and so I, that's the way I approached everything was, are you happy with this? Are you happy with it? I don't want to upset anybody. And if you read books on leadership, they're always going to make some comment about leadership being lonely. And I think that, yeah, yeah, you don't want to be isolated. You have to nurture friendships. Uh, but at the same time, you also have to embrace the fact that leadership is going to be lonely, that you're going to have to make some tough decisions that not everybody agrees with. And you're going to have to be okay with that and own the results of it. Absolutely. And I think surrounding yourself as a leader with other leaders versus yep. in your actual 
organization is so powerful because you're going through the same thing oftentimes that I'm going through or someone else is going through or you've already walked through it. So I can then avoid that pitfall and get the value from you. And so I think um, oftentimes leaders get so busy doing their business or their ministry, they don't take time to invest in themselves in building those um, communities and those relationships, not just to pour into other people, but for themselves. And that's really what Masterpiece was created for. So when mm-hmm. we had a retreat last fall, it was all ministry, either ministry leaders, pastors, wives, or business leaders. Yeah. Every single person that attended, that's who they were. And we were able to dive really deep. And it was just so valuable because we're all facing some of the same obstacles. Right. And um, working in collaboration, we always talk about Masterpiece. We're not here to compete. We're here to collaborate. How can we help each other? And unfortunately, sometimes in ministry, that's not necessarily um, a a truth, (laughs) just for better lack of, Mm -hmm. oftentimes ministries tend to compete with each other. You know, they won't bring other ministries on board because they're, they don't want to share their, their donors or they don't, right. the worried about the funds. It's like, guys, we serve a big God. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, that's so true, Tina. And of all places, like ministries should be where we're less concerned about what's happening in my organization and more concerned about like, what is God doing in the larger body? Uh, And that's key. And that's part of, I think, the dying to self that God will do in a leader's heart. Like you're going to have these tests of, do I like protect all my cookies and don't share them with anybody because I'm afraid? Or do I have the attitude of, hey, I'm here to do God's work. And if that means that my ministry flourishes, then fine. But if it means that I'm here to serve your ministry and your ministry flourishes, then let's give glory to God together. Um, And that there's some real walls that need to be broken down. That's something that you know, we've tried to do over the last few years is how do we pour into other ministries, not to promote what we're doing, um, not to get money from them, but how do we like unselfishly just say, what can I give you to other ministries, even ministries that you could see perhaps being competing. And when we do that, it just kills that part of us that wants to be all about me. And, uh, and so I regularly have to ask the Lord, like, help me take steps to do that so that this doesn't become my thing. Absolutely. And you know that we've even, so because I've experienced that in ministry previously, Masterpiece every month, we highlight local ministries. That's great. And so they come in and they share what they're doing. We get them on podcasts because this movement is not about Tina and it's not about the women in masterpiece. It's about God wants to bring his girls together for Mm -hmm. his purpose and his plan, whatever that is. And so we're building ours more of a business model on the backside so that we can become self-sustainable so that, I mean, my heartbeat would be, we would build this huge masterpiece membership that is making a ton of money. We're helping tons of women support their ministries and their, their businesses online and um, locally. But then we get to go, oh, well, which ministry do we want to support this month and be able to write the big checks to them? Like, wow. that's our I heartbeat. Like that. that's yeah, and that's, 
that's what it should be like. I feel like if we collaborate and really are doing what God's called us to do, and he's given us such a gift of so many amazing women in this organization and around the world. Like I think about yesterday I was, or a couple of days ago, I was interviewing someone from Proverbs 31 the day mm-hmm. before um, I was interviewing from Crossroads, mm-hmm. you know, here we have you, Dr. Julie Slattery. You know, I mean, God is just putting these amazing group of women together to share value to the women listening. And so I just watch what he does and it just amazes me. I'm like, Lord, you're just, you're just the best, you know, cause yeah. I couldn't do that in my own strength. It's nothing I did. Um, and yet there's been such great content and value given to the women in our organization to support them and help them grow in their leadership and, um, you know, give them the tools because at the end of the day, we'll give them all the practical tools for business building, ministry building. How do you run it like a business? How do you run, you know, how do you do that practical from the back? And we're going to give them all of that. I needed that about 10 years ago, Tina. I know. Where was I? <laughs> Where were you then? Exactly. Yeah. I think I met you right after that season. <laughs> yes, I think you did when I was still bruised and wounded from it. <laughs> yeah. But um, but we've got to get back to the to the basics, which is really hearing from God and spending yeah. that time with them and staying in that intimate relationship with them and you know, working through our stuff. Um, a little bit about what you do, Julie. I mean, we talked about, you know, sexual discipleship. Yeah. Many people are like, what, what do I want to <laughs> know about that? sexual discipleship for? What is the sexual discipleship? I would love for you to just describe to them what that means and what that looks like and um, how you actually implement it in um, yeah. organizations yeah. around the world. Right. So sexual discipleship is a term that I started using probably about five years ago. And it was to, it started out being to describe what we do at Authentic Intimacy. And uh, when I would travel the country and speak to women, Christian women on sexual issues, I could tell that even the ones that had done all the Bible studies and Kay Arthur and Beth Moore and Priscilla Shire, like they knew the Bible, but they didn't know how to integrate the knowledge of the Bible into their sexuality. And so it kind of dawned on me that we've been sexually discipled by the world or by the larger culture. And we may have been educated about sex by the church. You know, we've been given the purity talk or, uh, you know, you get one premarital session on sex. That's education. <laughs> like discipleship is the way we think. It's training us how to think through complex issues around sexuality. And so I use that phrase at first, like I said, to describe like this is what God has called us to do. And then eventually over the last five years, it's become, okay, how do, I, how do I help other organizations learn to do sexual discipleship? And so we now have a leader platform that works with churches and um, colleges and different just nonprofit groups and just individuals who say, hey, I'm in some form of Christian leadership and I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to have a gospel-centered perspective to everything from uh, pornography to what, why would God say that sex outside of marriage is wrong to how do I recover from sexual abuse? Uh, you know, all these complicated topics that we're navigating today, the whole gender issue of we have teenage girls who are identifying as non-binary, like how, where does the scripture speak to these things? 
And, uh, and it's not just about a list of rules that we follow, but really understanding the heart of God and his heart for redemption. And so, and so I have a real passion for it because I think it's a topic that religious settings, regardless of where you've come from, whether you're Catholic or Protestant or Jewish or Mormon, we've been taught a list of rules and not taught the heart of God. Uh, and what is the journey of surrendering this area of my life to God and experiencing his healing and redemption? Amen. And it's so powerful when you are a leader and when you're dreaming and, um, working through even the goals that um, God has for you to accomplish. The reality is if you have hindrances or strongholds in your life, it's really hard for you to have clarity on where it is he's calling you to. And so, or, you know, those negative thoughts tend to, you know, catapult whatever he's telling you to do. The enemy comes in and just swoops down with all the negative lies that come from that previous trauma or from the world or from whatever it is that you're experiencing that bondage. And so much of it has been related back that I've seen with the women I've worked with have been, has been relayed back to sexual immorality, um, a lot of child abuse and things like that. And they can't get past themselves oftentimes because of that. And so having someone like yourself that really comes in and helps them navigate through that, helps them navigate through with true discipleship. You know, it's one thing to go to an event. You get Mm -hmm. some great content, you get some great starting places, but that discipleship model that you have is so powerful to continue that on. And I know you have a lot of groups on your website that are going on there. So that's exciting. So ladies, I'm going to invite you. I cannot speak highly enough. If you have, um, any interest in learning and growing um, in these areas, go to um, Authentic Intimacy and also your podcast. You have a lot of great topics every single week and it's Java with Julie still, right? Yeah, that's it. Java with Julie with no E. No E, Java with Julie, J-U-L-I. That's it. So definitely want to catch up there. Now, it's interesting because one of the questions I ask all the women before we close is how has authenticity played a role in your leadership? And can you share some examples? And I think, well, your whole name is authentic intimacy. There you go. I know. There you go. Um, I think authenticity, you know, I, before God called me into leadership, he, one of the books that he had me write was called beyond the masquerade. And this is like way back I think it was maybe like 2007, 2008, but it was wrestling with my insecurities and that feeling like I had to perform. And I grew up with a lot of performance expectations. I put them on God, like God expects me to earn his love and perform. And when we minister or lead out of a place of insecurity like that, when we have to project somebody that we're not, Tina, it's exhausting. Like, I feel like during seasons of my life, I probably spent 90% of my energy worrying about what people thought and like trying to project the person they wanted me to be. And one day it dawned on me, like, what would happen if I got all that energy back? And I was just free to be who God made me. And I could mess up in front of people and be fine with it. I could just speak from my heart and not worry. 
uh, I could just be me and know that the spirit of God can work through me. And, um, and so I feel like the whole journey of authentic intimacy has been God teaching me to be authentic at times, you know, sharing my story of different aspects of sexual brokenness and struggle that I've had. Like people resonate with our vulnerability more than they do our expertise. And oh. so always wanting to lead with, all right, here's where my heart is. Here's what I'm struggling with. Here's how I'm encountering God and trusting that God's going to use that to encourage people instead of feeling like I have to get up there with this polished performance. And it's a whole lot easier to lead that way too, because we're not afraid of making mistakes. Absolutely. I have to tell you a funny story. I did a podcast not too long ago, the Bible study, and I'm not talking to somebody. So it's different. Like I'm teaching a yeah. study. I've got the oh, that's Bible. hard. Yeah. And I did the video and the whole video. And I didn't know while well, I'm reading the Bible, all my hair is like down in front of my face. <laughs> and so it looks like a shaggy dog. Oh, I so love I'm it. like, okay, well, should I, should I re-record it? And I'm like, no, that yeah. is who I am. That is, yep. that is authentic, real me that doesn't know how to do videos, but you know what? Right. I got a calling and God asked me to do this. And guess what? Nobody cares if they're going to see my hair. And if they're on the yeah. podcast, they're not going to see it anyway, but on the blog, they see it. And it was yeah. just so funny because it was so free. And I'm like, oh, well, it is what it is. You know, you do the best you can. And sometimes, you know, it may not be perfect. And that is okay. Because I guarantee you, some other person's going to go, well, goodness, if Tina can do that, I can do it. And that's right. really what it's about, right? Is us supporting other women. So I think it's fun. I love that you say that because it's just so freeing to go, yeah, oh, well. I know. I'm yeah, we don't have to do we don't have to do it over and over again and get it just right and perfect. Like life is too short. So it is way too short. Yeah. And I lived so many years in that place. Oh, mm-hmm. it was miserable. Um, yeah. and so I do not want to go back there for sure. So I love that. And I love authentic intimacy and I love what you're doing and how God uses you. And I love you and I can't wait to see you. Oh, I know back down here. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I love what God is doing through you with masterpiece is so exciting. And I look forward to just seeing how God blesses it and uses it to bring women together. Thank you, my love. Well, I am too. I'm so thankful. So Ladies, thank you for joining Dr. Julie Slattery with Authentic Intimacy and myself, Tina Rains, today on our podcast. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Have a wonderful, blessed day. 